This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. Scott Mautz is a high-octane business inspirational speaker and expert at igniting peak performance and deep employee engagement, motivation, and inspiration. He's a Procter & Gamble veteran who successfully ran several of the company's largest multi-billion, that's with a B, dollar businesses. He is the multi-award-winning author of Make It Matter and Find the Fire, and his new book, Leading from the Middle, a playbook for managers to influence up, down, and across the organization is out now. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. That guy you just talked about sounds pretty cool. Can you get me, give me an intro to him so I can meet him? <laughs> you know, I always say that. That's a joke I always use when I get introduced as a speaker. I'm like, wow, where is this guy? <laughs> Thanks for having me here, Mark. I'm a fan of your show. Glad to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here too, because I, I love the title of your book. You know, let me read the title of the new book again because the listener may not have heard it. It's called Leading from the Middle, and the subtitle is A Playbook for Managers to Influence Up, Down, and Across the Organization. What do you mean by that? First of all, Mark, everyone has to understand that they're probably a middle manager, even if they don't want to admit it. We Middle managers, have got it's got such a bad rap and bad name to it from shows like The Office and movies like Office Space. And But the truth is, Mark, if you have a boss and you are a boss or aspire to be one someday, I got news for you. You're a middle manager. And I was blown away, Mark, when I saw the percentage of books out today in the business field that are all about the C-suite or about people that are brand new in their job or about some specific flavor of the month type of leadership. Oh, it's got to be servant leadership. Oh, it's empathetic leadership. (laughs) And there's just this huge unmet need of serving what most of us are, which is middle managers. So the book title is about that, just saying where the leading really happens is from the middle. And if I were to write a book like this, it better not be high in theory and low on practice. So it's it's literally is a playbook of really specific, simple things middle managers can do to lead up the organization to their boss, down the organization to their direct reports, and even across to people who their peers who they don't have any formal control over, but they still have to influence them. So that's where the title comes from and my mission. Let me ask you this. This is kind of a personal question for me. Yeah. Um, Do you think that a lot of managers, I don't know what the percentage is, were promoted to manager positions when, you know, the company almost like said, you're really good employee. You don't really fit in managerial position, (laughs) but you worked real hard and we're going to put you there. And then they kind of flounder because they don't get any training. Is that true? Promoted to their level of incompetence. (laughs) And what we find in our data, I'm very blessed in this uh, second season of my professional life, Mark, to be involved in a lot of research. What we find in our data is that on average, based based on whatever company, whatever size, up to one third of all managers promoted (laughs) into their position don't even want to be there. (laughs) But they were just moved along. Which is another reason why I felt like I had to write leading from the middle, because if you're there, I guess I better I better help you out. Right. Help help you figure out what to do so you can make the best of it. I heard a a statistic someplace. I don't remember where it was, but someone said that when managers are promoted from employee to manager, they are given training like six months later after they've already been given the job. Is that true? 
Yeah, that's it's unfortunately too true. And then even the training that is given is usually not very good at all. The, the thing I find the funniest, Mark, is training given on some of the basics. We, we also know this from our research that one of the basic things you do when you become a boss of others is you have to be able to give feedback, right? So we conducted a study where we found in 121 case studies, the boss giving feedback to the employee actually decreased the quality of the performance of the employee <laughs> because of the lack of poor training that they were given and how to give feedback to begin with in the first place. So uh, we go deep into that and in leading from the immediate, you know, the middle on the basics of how to give fundamental feedback up, down, and across, giving it even to your boss, which is scary for some folks. So yeah, good question. And you're right on. Yeah. Cause I remember when I was in corporate America and I was fired back in July of 2005 and I've been an entrepreneur ever since, but I remember my boss would give me project after project after project. And, and eventually I ran out of bandwidth, <laughs> but this guy was not the type of guy that wanted to hear, Hey, listen, I'm out of bandwidth something's got to give. He didn't want to hear that. And I was like a relatively new employee. I'm like, what do I do? So let's get real practical on the show. Yeah. Someone's listening to this show right now. And they're like, I got a boss like that. They keep giving me project after project. There's no more bandwidth, but they don't seem to be very receptive. Maybe they're old school manager, which means kind of like, I'm your mother, do it. Cause I said, so I'm your manager, do it. Cause I said, so how would, how would you coach an employee to approach a manager like that? Yeah, there's many different ways. One of my favorite tactics is to give them a different yes to their request, which is, so you know, I'll make this up, Mark. Let's say your boss pushed on you and said, Mark, listen, dude, I really need you to give me this report within six months. One of your answers could be, okay, yes, but I'm not in a position to be able to do that. Here's what I can do for you. You embrace the spirit of what they're trying to accomplish with their objective. I can train someone else to be able to do this report for you. I'll spend this amount of time with them to bring them up to speed. And you leave the conversation feeling like you didn't say no, and you had the right spirit about it. You gave them a different answer that'll still lead to the same outcome that they want without actually overwhelming you. That's one of my favorite tips. The other very quick, simple tip, I like to use the Bermuda Triangle of bargaining, which is when it comes down to you know, how you have to sort through your work. There's a couple of ways that you can, you can bargain on. There's the scope, there's the time, and there's the resources. Either, okay, give me more time, let's reduce the scope, or give me more resources to complete it. And those are the three pinpoints of it. And I call it a triangle, Mark, because <laughs> if you don't have the three of those, work just goes into that hole right in the middle and gets sucked right down the tube and disappears and no one knows what happens to it. So I find pulling those levers, scope, time, and resources, just even if you ask to release one of them, it could really help improve your productivity. You got Facebook? Well, I am on Facebook. I have a Facebook page and I have a Facebook group, both under the name of Mr. Productivity. So if you are into Facebook, if you love Facebook, go look me up on Facebook. Just look for Mr. Productivity. I love you saying that because I remember once this manager gave me a project and I I was naive, apparently, and I said, you know what, Jimmy is much better at this, you know, I don't know, the Express spreadsheet or whatever it was, uh, you know, she give it to him because I'm going to have to figure out how to do it and he could do it like with his eyes closed. And my manager goes, no, I want you to do it. I'm like, 
So I have to learn the system, then figure out how to input your requirements into the system. And Jimmy would have had it done three hours ago. And but the guy was old school. He you know was a manager back in the fifties and sixties, and he says, "Look, I'm the manager. Do as I say." And I'm so glad I got fired from that job because it was so. It was a. It was an environment that wasn't conducive to like. Let's give the employees the tools that they need so they can succeed. Because if the employee succeeds, then the company succeeds. And the manager looks good. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And along, along the same spirit of that, Mark, I, I'm going to riff off of something you said. It's related to that. We found in our research that so so when you got fired from your job, you, did you fit the definition of middle manager? Did you have a boss, and were you a boss? No, I was called an inventory control coordinator. So I was basically the bottom rung. So the salespeople were above me and the managers, supervisors. It seems like I was the lowest man that told them, Paul. Okay. Did you ever aspire to move up the ladder at all at any case point in time? When I first started, yes. But when I saw how this company <laughs> let the managers and supervisors run, I said, I don't want to be like that. It was more political than Washington, D.C. <laughs> more political that's so funny why in leading from the middle we also i have a section on how to deal with political behavior and the difference between being political and you know being politically savvy but what, one of the things i wanted to say mark was what we're seeing in our research is that for most middle managers the reason why you looked up and said i don't want any part of that i'm gonna bet at least part of that was it seemed to you the workload was probably undoable that the higher and higher you get, it just gets more and more demanding. Mm -hmm. And most folks say, okay, the reason why middle manager jobs are so difficult and, and so uniquely difficult is that it has to be the workload. But here's what our research is showing us, Mark. Yes, that always scores in the top three for, yes, my middle manager job is so tough because of my workload. But the number one reason is what psychologists call the problem of micro-switching. And here's what happens when you're a when you're a middle manager. You have to change your hats and your roles all day long. One minute you have to be deferential to your boss. Then you have to be assertive with your employees. Then you have to be collaborative with your peers. And sometimes you have to do it all within one meeting. You'll go from roles of tremendous autonomy to where you feel like a cog in the wheel. You're making lots of decisions, but not any big ones. And it it really wears on us. And so we have learned through our research that it's really important to help middle managers reframe the way that they see their role and not have this self-identity problem and not suffer from, oh, all the switching I have to do all day long is killing me. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we did, and I'm going to give your listeners a very simple tip. So if they're thinking, great, that's me, Scott. I feel like I'm switching all the time. The role changes is exhausting me. How can I reframe? We interviewed over 3,000 middle managers to find out the most successful ones, what were some of the reframing they did? Here's some of my, my, my favorite ones. I wrote this down. It was so powerful. A middle manager in Minnesota said, look, my job is to think like an engineer and feel like an artist. Mm. Another one said, I don't look as my job is. It's a hundred different jobs that I can't do. They're all blended into one integrated job that I'm uniquely suited to do. We talked to another one that said, you know, I'm the keeper of the long-term flame and the short-term flame. I work on the business and in the business, and frankly, it's a privilege to do so. So, so the point is, if you know, your, your audience out there, Mark, is feeling thoroughly exhausted from leaning in the middle, they can step back and reframe the way they look at it because they're really the heroes of the organization. You know, 
I will be 56 on Monday. And when I reflect back to all the bosses I've had in my entire life, the one that was my boss back in, I want to say mid 1980s. So I know some of you younger listeners are going, there was a time 1980s. There's life. Yeah, there was life back then. (laughs) I worked for a steel factory and I worked there because it paid a lot more money than Kmart or Walmart or anything like that because it was a a union shop. And my manager at the time was so good. He could read people. Now I'm not going to make the, I'm going to try not to make this sound like I'm talking down the unions, but the union I was in, it was kind of like when you got your seniority in there, it was basically the guys didn't do a lot of work. And the only way to motivate them is to get in their face and yell at them. Well, I remember one time we had a really big problem. I don't know what the problem was, a real big problem. He came walking down his stairs from his upstairs uh, office, and he saw me sitting there. It was not sitting there, but standing next to the stairs. He goes, look, something just happened. I'm going to yell at the guys, but I am going to talk to you about it because I know you. It's better if I talk to you man to man. And my coaches, when I used to play sports back in the day, they knew if you yell at me, I shut down. But if you sit down and have a calm conversation with me, you got my full attention. And I, I will never forget this guy. His name is Mike Holthy. I don't even know where he is. I've lost contact with him, but he knew how to read people. He knew, are you someone I need to yell at? Or are you someone I can have a, a, a calm conversation with and get the same result? Yeah, it's, it's a really great point. And how to address, you know, the employees that work for you, you know, we've also found that one of the most powerful things you can do and tell me if you ever took this mindset you know, to really make things simple, Mark. One of the biggest pieces of advice I give, if you want to be a successful middle manager, pick. You could either assist success or avoid failure. Mm. In the scenario you were just talking about, your boss was choosing to assist success by the way he approached you. He was empathetic. He listened. He just sat down and had a conversation. And think of all the assist success behaviors. You know, We invest in coaching. That You sit down with the marks of the world when they need it, and you really... You, you turn, you look around corners, you take risks with your people. Now think about avoid failure behaviors. Those look like micromanaging. Raise your hand, by the way, if you love to be micromanaged. There's no one on <laughs> earth that loves that. It's literally the opposite of meaningful work, being micromanaged. You know, uh, avoiding failure behaviors look like carrying multiple parallel paths, never making a decision, covering your tail with too many requests for information, uh, credit grabbing. And to make it simple, I find it so powerful that I actually write it on the top of my meeting agendas, Mark. And every before a leadership team meeting, I say, am I here to assist success or am I here to avoid failure? I love that. I love that success versus failure. And I wonder how many people listening to our conversation right now are thinking either of the way they manage or the way they're being managed. And just think about it. Just think about it. Your situation, success versus failure. Very important. You know, I remember the manager, the last manager I ever had in corporate America, he told me he liked to have all these reports, right? These special reports I had to do for inventory. And, and after a while, I'm like, whatever happens to these reports? I'm like, what's, what's going on right now? And I asked him about it because he would get the report and he'd put it in the binder. And one day I just got up the, the, I don't know, the, the courage, if you will, to ask him, I said, whatever happens to reports? And he goes, don't worry about it. 
I'm like, am I creating these reports that no one even looks at? I'm like, because I'm a guy, I'm like a reason guy. Tell me we need this report because I go to this meeting and we look at the report to give answers to our higher ups. But he just said, don't worry about it. I'm like, but I, to me, I got to close the loop. I want to know why I'm doing the report. If I am contributing to the bottom line of the company, then I'm like, yeah. But if you tell me, hey, listen, we're just going to put in the binder and never look at it. Then how do you think that makes me feel as an employee? Doing, I'm like spinning my wheels. I'm like a hamster on a wheel. Am I not? Oh, you absolutely are. We we used to do something to that exact point, Mark, in an organization. We had these, uh, you know, those uh, squeezy balls you could squeeze to release your stress. Yep. You know, uh, we had uh, like I don't even remember 500 of those printed up that were in the shape of a lemon and they were yellow, and we had printed on it, "Is the juice worth the squeeze?" Oh, I love it. <laughs> And we would pass it around. So when a boss would ask for a report that Mark would have to do that no one actually cared about, you'd whip the lemon at him and say, dude, is the juice worth the squeeze? Do you really want it? It was an ultimate productivity tool for us. Plus, we had a good time just whipping squeezy lemon balls at each other around the office. So That, that is awesome. I mean, I wish my bosses would have had that because, again, how many times in my career, let alone your career, have you done things that were just like a hamster on a wheel? And you're like, I put my blood, sweat and tears into making a report just like they wanted it. Matter of fact, I even had one manager that got upset with me because I had my outlook structured differently. And I'm like, oh, jeez. I'm like, I'm sorry. This is outlook set up the way I want it. He goes, that's not the, not the way I used it. But this is not your outlook. I, I, and he got really upset. I mean, he got red in the face. I'm like, and I was like a young person at the time. And I'm like, is this guy serious? (laughs) He's worried about my email client when he's not even going to look at my email client. And, but that's what I would call a control freak manager. He just wants to control micromanage, if you will, everything you do. Like if you're going to put something in envelope, no, we put it, we fold it the letter this way. I'm like, what difference does it make as long as it goes in the envelope? But he was so micromanaged. And it's like, oh, I was, it drove me insane. And uh, I, now I know that one's not, he's not with us anymore. He passed away several years ago. But I wonder how many of my other managers who I haven't mentioned are going, if they listen to the show, is he talking about me? Probably am, dude. <laughs> Good. Put a little fear in him. And, and what you're talking about, Mark, the crazy thing is, is it only gets, we know this from research, but you also know it from your practical experience. It only gets worse in times of adversity (laughs) where people get even more nervous. And one of the questions I often get is, okay, Scott, you know, if I'm a middle manager and I want to lead from the middle in times of adversity, how do I stay productive and how do I avoid things like my boss micromanaging if I use the outlook in the right way? And so what I often tell them is very simple, practice the 50-50 rule. Here's what it stands for. In times of chaos, when things are getting really crazy, focus 50% of your time on pragmatism, 50% of your time on possibilities. Mm. 50 plus 50 equals 100, which means you spend zero of your time chasing other people's urgent and other priorities. Here's the other powerful thing about this. It's also called the 2P rule. But you know, 50% of pragmatism, 50% of possibilities. The 50% of pragmatism says you're only going to spend half of your time on chaos in doing the pragmatic things, which forces you to make choices about what you're going to spend your time on. And in adversity, time just flies by because you're bouncing around to everybody else's urgent. So cut your time in half and saying, I'm only going to dedicate half of that to pragmatic 
uh, exercises is powerful. The other half of that is where the real power comes in, Mark, 50% on possibilities, because what we know from research is in times of adversity, we're so busy just trying to keep our head above water, answering everyone else's urgent, bouncing from to-do list to-do list, we lose sight of the possibility that surfaces in times of chaos. Opportunities that'll be right in front of us, opportunities to change something for the better on a going basis. And we completely forget to take time in focusing on possibilities as well. So try to, I encourage your listeners to try the 50-50 rule. It's very, very powerful. I get it. You want productivity tips, but your email inbox is, well, out of control. When you follow Mr. Productivity on Telegram Messenger, you'll receive daily bite-sized productivity tips delivered to your phone or desktop for free. Let me help you become more productive, step-by-step, day-by-day. Follow Mr. Productivity on Telegram today. Excellent. So I want you to help us out with a scenario. Someone just got promoted. And of course, you get promoted, you get excited, more money, more responsibility, you get the boss people around. But then... You go, uh-oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And we already talked about most people don't get trained. So what is this new manager who is really excited but realizes the reality that they're not going to get trained for a while? What can they do so they don't fall on their face? Yeah, two things. First of all, recognize the, the downfalls of promotions. And here's what social science teaches us, Mark. Here's a problem with promotions. And they're great. There's nothing wrong with them. But they don't sustain meaningful work over time because of the following. Two reasons. Number one, either the temporary high from the promotion is soon replaced by a more demanding and draining new norm, or what social scientists call the promotion paradox kicks in whereby our hapless promotee, who's been waiting their turn in line probably to get promoted, finally gets promoted and then discovers that that which they thought would make them happier, the promotion, (laughs) actually moves them farther away from that which makes them happy, so they begin to look for happiness offsets in their life. That remains true whether it's your first promotion or your fifth promotion. So the first thing is to don't put too much weight on expecting the promotion to deliver you profound, sustained happiness, point one. Now, directly to your question, point two, you said, okay, what if they realize that they're in this mode and they're not getting the training that they want? That's where it is so important to personalize learning and growth, even on your own, if you have to do it. And here's a surefire way to force the system with your boss. If they're not training you, one thing is for sure, your boss will want to sit down and get clear on expectations with you. So here's a powerful, simple tool to do exactly what you're asking for. If you're in your role, you're not getting trained, sit down with your boss and ask to have a good to great discussion. It's very simple. I want your your listeners to imagine a simple chart. On the left-hand side are performance metrics that are important at your company. Leadership, priority setting, risk-taking. The next column over is good. The next column over is great. And you literally sit down with your boss. And let's use leadership as an example. Boss, tell me what good leadership looks like. And then you agree to a definition. Now, tell me what great leadership looks like. And it's that tension that comes in the middle that forces your boss to get clear on what they think great is. Now that you have clarity, you could say, ah, that's what great leadership means. I need you to help me learn and grow to get there. I want you to invest in coaching on, and I'm making up, you said public speaking is important. 
communication is important for great leadership and uh, analytical skills. Those are three things I'm not good at. Can you help me with that? Now your boss is going to engage in the discussion with you because it's grounded in what it takes to get to great and what he or she expects from you to be great. So a very powerful way to get in rather than just knock, knock. Hi, I'm not getting any training, boss. Can you coach and train me? It puts it in the right uh, right environment, right flavor. I agree 100%. And the one thing I will add to that is I think everyone should make personal growth a priority every day. Yes, Read absolutely. a book, attend the webinar, take a course, do something every day. Don't rely on your company. If you really want to be a success in life, then right. you take responsibility. So, Scott, you gave us so – every one of my guests are just like you. It's like – drinking from the fire hose. You gave us so much practical information. You kept it simple, which I love because I know that it's complexity. Complexity is the gateway to procrastination, but you did not do that. So where can we go to find out more about what you're doing in the world? Because I know people are going to want to pick up your books, especially if they're flaunting around in middle management going, I don't know what I'm doing. So tell us more about how we can get in touch with you. Yeah, thanks so much for asking, Mark. You can go to scottmoutz.com, S-C-O-T-T-M-A-U-T-Z.com, and I put together a gift for your listeners. If they go to scottmoutz.com forward slash free tools, no space in between free and tools, so scottmoutz.com forward slash free tools, I've set up a 30-page companion workbook that goes along with leading from the middle, the, the playbook for managers to influence up, down, and across the organization. You probably know, Mark, you're a productivity guru. You know what research shows us about when people can write things down, when they can think about questions to absorb material, whether it's fill in the blank or multiple choice, it helps them learn that material. So this 30-page uh, companion workbook will really help you understand the content of what's uh, in leading from the middle. So I'm hoping your listeners will enjoy that. I love that. And I'll tell you, I'm a big fan of writing things down. I've gone from writing things down to app. Now I'm back to a bullet journal because when you write it down, it cements in your subconscious. Scott, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks so much, Mark. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski podcast. I really hope it served you well today. Now head on over to my website, mrproductivity.com. Sign up to be a free Mark Stuchowski insider. Get my top five productivity tips for entrepreneurs. Absolutely free. It's my gift to you. And until tomorrow, my friend, go be productive.